You're listening to the Down the Pub podcast, Canada's premier football show. Head to downthepub.ca to subscribe so you never miss an episode. This episode of the Down the Pub podcast. We are joined by three ex Edmonton players, Albert Watson, Jake Keegan, and Daryl Fordyce, as we find out about their time in Edmonton, what they're up to now, and also about the demise of the NASL. In part two, we are joined by Miles and Jack from Rosehead Football, formerly Football Bill on Instagram. We chat about the Tottenham West Ham game and the bad season both teams have been having. So sit back, relax, and on with the show. So, um, welcome to this special FC Edmonton um, episode of the Down the Pool podcast. <laughs> so, uh, just before we kind of get into the, the FC Edmonton stuff, uh, we want to just tell us uh, where you guys are playing now and how things are going for you. Go ahead, Jack. Youngest first. <laughs> I haven't been the youngest in a while. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm playing now in Greenville, South Carolina. Uh, we're in USL League One. We were probably two weeks away from starting our season, our second season here. Our Last year was our first, and we lost in the final to FC Dallas's reserve team. Uh, we were a couple weeks away from the season. We're looking forward to it. And then, obviously, as everything else shut down around the world, we shut down. So we're hoping to get kicked off again maybe middle of July or end of July. Yeah, I saw something there today, but it was like July the 11th or something they were saying, so. Yeah, two days, there's the 11th and the 18th, so we'll see which one they go with. Hopefully it gets back soon for you. Um, so, Albert, how about you? Um, at the moment, I'm in Larn, uh, Larn FC. They they um, have a big uh, big backer, uh, Kenny Bruce, uh, that owns Purple Bricks, and he kind of bought the team about three years ago, and ever since he's been trying to, Put money into it, uh, into the into the town and into the into the football team to basically win the league and to get into to get into Europe. Um, uh, that's his goal to play European football at 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 Inver Park, at our home pitch. So it's been brilliant. When I came back, I never envisaged uh, come, ever coming back here. Um, but it was in between seasons, uh, because I came home from Iceland. So. It was a bit of a stickler kind of way to come back, but whenever I was down at Lauren, they're, they're a very professional club. Um, they run everything very, very good. Uh, so, I re- really good team. Uh, so, I've enjoyed it ever since I've been back. It's going to take a lot to uh, to get into that party at the top of the league, though. Like I mean, like with the likes of Linfield and stuff like that, it's, uh, it's definitely hard to, to break into that, I suppose. I think um, it, it will be hard. Uh, but we've played Linfield twice this year um, before the, the, the obviously the break the pandemic hit and we they beat us 1-0 uh, undeservedly at their place um, we were missed about three or four good chances and then they scored from a uh, goalkeeper error in our part 
Uh, and then we got them down to our place and we absolutely hammered them. Should have beat them about seven. Um, absolutely, honestly, you, it was a, it was unbelievable. We uh, run over the top of them um, and beat them three one that that game. Um, the only chance they had was a was an own goal by me. <laughs> so <laughs> so um, I think that that says everything. We we were kind of way on the ascendancy and. Uh, it is obviously going to be tough, but I really do think that uh, the the club is going places. Hopefully, I'm maybe back in Canada by that stage, but um, but we'll see that we'll see what happens there. And Daryl, we know that you've moved to to Winnipeg. How's things going there for you? I know we talked a few weeks ago, but anything changed? No, we're just training individually still. We were hoping to get passed by yesterday, actually. But the province hasn't passed passed as yet to train in groups. Um, so hopefully that will be done by next week. And we're still on the pitch individually, still doing the social distance measures and all that crap. So we're, we're just doing, doing as, as they say at the minute. But again, as a player, you just you know we're all in different stages. Jake's been back as a team already. And Albert's still not back on the pitch with his team yet. Um, whereas we were training individually. But again... I'd say the three of us are all professional and we just get on with our, with whatever needs to be done. And then I'll even backtrack a bit in terms of Albert because I was up at oh, I was up at Windsor Park watching Lauren against Linfield and uh, Linfield scored, what was it, Albert, about two minutes to go. Uh, That's right. Yeah. Robinson scored and, you know, for me, Lauren just dominated the game. And any time I've been up and what, I've trained with Lauren a few times as well and, you know, quality players that they have there and, uh, there's no doubt about it in my opinion that Lauren will be a force um, whether if Albert's still there or not if he's moved on but again the groundwork that Albert will have put in now to help Lauren move on um, it's just a club that's grown and grown each year and as he says they have an owner that's that he's not there for just to be there to make up the numbers you know uh, sort of a fancy owner he's actually there to build the club and build the city and you know, it's it's a great place at the minute for for Albert to be at the minute, and but obviously I want to see him back in Canada. Is that is that the goal, Albert? Well, uh, see to be honest, when I come back from Iceland, it wasn't um, because we just had a, a terrible time in Iceland. Um, we went there and it was we were full of all, you know full of good intentions and stuff, and signed a two year deal, and you know everything was good. But then you get the the whole thing that Darrell's obviously um, you know experience being away in Cincinnati. It's just we felt isolated. We felt isolated, and we were the club didn't really help us, um, and didn't help my wife more so. I didn't care about myself. It was more get help my wife to settle in, um, and things that you know you need off the pitch, and that didn't happen. And, and then a couple of wee things happened off the pitch. Uh, that I didn't like straight away. So uh, my character, I just, um, I just straight away, I just said to the manager, "Listen, I'll not be here next year." Um, <laughs> so just make sure you um, get my write my contract up and make sure the the, the payment's good for next year. <laughs> so that that's <laughs> what happens. Withdrawal <laughs> symptoms. Three months. Withdrawal symptoms of Jake. We miss Jake too much. Uh, that's what it is. We're all trying to get back to Jake, but Jake uh, won't take us. I won't come back to Canada with them, so. <laughs> so, so uh, switching to the uh, to, to Edmonton, uh, Jake, you were playing in Galway, I think, before you you moved over. 
Uh, what convinced you to uh, to switch? Because you're having you're really prolific when you record. Always like probably the most prolific of your career. Uh, what what made you decide to come over to Canada? It all went downhill after <laughs> after, I moved, and so <laughs> uh, good times. Uh, I was um, I just wanted to move into kind of the U.S. market, North American market, and the NASL at that time was the best league outside of and outside of the MLS. So I just, I didn't really care which team it was. And Edmonton were the first team that came in for me. And they made a decent enough offer. And I went and I didn't really know too much what to expect. I mean, I spoke to the manager on the phone, Colin Miller. And I spoke to, I think I spoke to one of the guys. I didn't speak to Daryl or Albert about it. I didn't know them at the time. And I just kind of jumped in and it was, it was definitely a culture shock. I mean, you're, you're five hours uh, north of the border. It's the only like city around and uh it was it was definitely a lot different than the Irish game even though we had a Scottish manager it was just the way the NASL was played it was at a slower pace but there was a lot of like top top players it was Raul was in the league the year before I got there we played against the likes of Joe Cole like Michelle was in the league like a lot of top top players who Juan Arango who played for the Cosmos so it was, a, it was a great league to play in. And I think the first year uh, was probably the most successful season that Edmonton ever had. Uh, we ended up losing a semifinal. So it was, it was definitely kind of an up-and-down experience, but we did have a level of success. And I think a lot of that was down to the, the leadership uh, that season uh, in terms of the players. And I think guys like Albert, who was the captain the first year, and then Dazzy and guys like Adam Eckersley, Matt Benoncle, guys like that, they really led the team. and. At that time, I'm not anymore, but at that time I was a younger player and I learned so much from the both of them, especially Dazzy being that he was in a similar position to me. He's kind of moved back now as more of a center midfielder, but at the time he was a striker as well. And so much of his stuff that he did in training, just the little movements, open up his hips, is stuff that I've kind of took from him and uh, I've tried to, uh, I guess, replicate in my own game. So you're, you're, what you're saying is it wasn't a coincidence that they had their best season the season you signed? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> what I'm saying is the fact that they didn't make the playoffs, so it's no coincidence. <laughs> so so um, I, I know, uh, Albert, that uh, Daryl was the, the one who talked you into moving to, to Edmonton. Um, I always kind of wondered, what the fuck did he say to, to make you <laughs> travel over somewhere that's minus 30 degrees? Don't lose it. <laughs> See to be honest, um, Anthony, the, I was looking to get a, a, to go away like Daryl was. Um, Daryl wanted to go and play, uh, f- you know, in a, a different country and immigrate basically. Um, and so we 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 talked about it when we played for Linfield and we had a successful season with Linfield that that year, the previous year. So it got to kind of a maybe December time, and me and Daryl had already talked about it, and he he had already shorted it. Well, sorted sorted him because he he had been on to certain people he knew. So I was just it done a lot for me, you know, because I wouldn't have got the opportunity to go away to um, go to full time in in North America if it hadn't been for Daryl. So he just said to the manager, "Listen, if you're looking at centre back, come to the game because he was coming to watch Daryl. Come to the game and see see." Um, you know, boy Albert Watson, and he just says, right, I'll come and watch. Uh, he was home in Scotland, Colin Miller at the time. So he came to the game and um, and he liked what he's seen and then it went on from there. And um, and then we moved out and I just had to convince my, 
it wasn't my wife at that stage. Um, but I had to convince her and I told her where it was. And she says, that's in London, isn't it? I says, no, Edmonton in Canada. And she goes, where, where, where's that? Because her brother was in, Va- was in Vancouver. So she, did, she didn't have a clue um, where this Edmonton was. So she looked it up. And she says, you know, it's minus 33 at the moment. <laughs> and I says, yeah, yeah, yeah. And she goes, I don't know. I don't know, Albert. And um, so... It was. It all went. It all went well. To be honest, it was probably the best, um, best time of my career. Yeah, it's it's definitely a great country. To, I, I love it here. It's it's amazing. It's probably the best thing I've ever done. So, um, yeah, I, I can see why you enjoy it here. Um, Albert, uh, first one's for you, I suppose, brother. You yeah. have the distinction of playing with a club for nearly a decade or a decade. Um, commitment, loyalty. How hard is that to translate onto the field? Well, it, it 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 becomes a lot easier whenever you have a manager that backs you and kind of way has um, treats you well. Uh, I think it's massive whenever you have a manager that backs you. And um, basically, it's it, I don't know why so many managers get it wrong, but it's the basics of just saying hire you as a person and things like that. And that's why that's why you stay at a club for so long because you feel valued. And you feel like you, you you would go that extra length for them. You would do anything for them. And if they ask you to do something, even though you don't, you know, you maybe not feeling a wee, you feel a niggle or something, you'll do it for them because you know they've went that extra uh, mile for you. And I think that's massive, even in today's game, um, because a lot of players have all the attributes or they wouldn't be there. So it's more about relationships. And if you have that relationship with the, your players, you're sure to get an extra, I'm talking maybe 20% out of a player. Um, I really believe so. And if you if you have that relationship down to a T with um, the team and you're fair and you have that respect, well, then you, you'll play for years for, for that club or for that manager. You kind of just said it. Like It, it almost becomes easier. It, it becomes more... I guess, enjoyable. You go out there for the fans. You go out there for your manager, for your teammates. Who were some of those early guys for you that, that stuck with you through your career, guys that you still keep in touch with now? Well, um, one of the best managers I've ever had, I think he probably was the best manager I've ever had, um, is Tommy Wright. Um, and he was at my early stages in my career. And Kenny Shields was at very early um, when I was a youth player. And he brought me to, to my first club, Ballymena. And then Tommy Wright kind of took that over, um, and he was he was brilliant. He was at St Johnston last year, and I know he's getting talked about going to the Northern Ireland job and stuff because Michael O'Neill's away. But he's just absolute relationship guy. Totally wants to look after you as a person first, and then if you look after him, he'll give you everything. But if you don't look, if you don't, if you don't re- reciprocate that, then obviously you have a problem. Um, and then that's why whenever you see players leaving and you no know, players don't get on with certain managers um, but that's what, what he was massive into and he, he, his relationship and he learned me at straight away and he always used to say to me a great quote like what I always take from him is trying to eliminate as many excuses from players' heads as possible because they'll always find a way to make an excuse that we're all human and we'll always find a way to make an excuse in, in any thing we do, you know, it's raining or it's, you know, it's you feel a niggle in the, your hamstring and you're just making excuses because you, you just feel a bit tired or whatever. And he used to manage that very well. And he was probably the one, I will say a long story, but he would, he would be the one that I've always 
uh, look back to and thought I've learned the most from and uh, I value the most. That's great. That's great. Jake, um, to you next, brother, you're a Div 1 guy, NCAA, similar to our buddy Mateo, who was on the show a couple of weeks ago. Um, when you were playing college soccer, were you playing it to make that step to the professional level or did you kind of find that when you were there? Honestly, the first couple seasons, I wasn't sure. I mean, growing up, I played for a smaller town club. I, I always had kind of back in the mind, my mind aspirations to play professionally, but it was never something as attainable that like, hey, I played against this guy who played here as it is in, in Ireland and, and Northern Ireland and England. And because you, you always know someone who's in an academy and all, and all that different types of stuff. So really, my first two years in college, I was just like, I want to be a good college soccer player. And or footballer, as you want to call it, uh, and go from there. Uh, but then after my sophomore season, I played in the PDL, which is the kind of the biggest uh, amateur semi-professional league in the U.S., and I ended up winning the Golden Boot. And this was against a lot of ex-pros, guys, guys who had played in the MLS, uh, guys who were playing at a lot bigger schools than I was playing at. And it was really at that point where I was like, why can't I play at a, at a top level? And my second two seasons, my junior and senior year in college were probably my best two seasons. And then I was fortunate enough to be drafted. And then from there, it was just making the most of it. I was just trying to get an opportunity anywhere that I could. And I was lucky enough to latch on to a few good places. And in particular, it was Galway that really kind of ignited my career. And then you actually segued into my next question. Perfect was the draft experience. We've talked to a couple of the guys about their Canadian Premier League draft experience, but the MLS draft, it almost has that NBA, NHL feeling um, where you, you get dressed up, maybe get your hair cut or you're with your family in front of a television. Tell us about your day getting drafted. My day was nothing like that. I didn't get dressed up. I was actually in my basement. Okay. So I, did, I didn't expect to be drafted. I was playing FIFA in my basement, if you want to know what I was doing. You know what? That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. <laughs> so I, but, I had, but I had, like, my laptop was, like, to the side. I didn't, I didn't expect to be drafted because I wasn't in, invited to the combine. And at the same point, I had a trial set up with Maccabi Haifa in Israel. I was due to leave in, like, maybe three or four days. And I had been – I had played for their youth club when they came on tour to America, scored a goal – uh, for them against my old PDL team. It just kind of worked out. They invited me on a trial and the trial took a little bit of like, it took a month to materialize. But during that time was when the MLS draft was happening. So, I mean, I wasn't invited to the combine, didn't expect anything, had my laptop up just to kind of see who of my friends or who that I knew would be drafted. And then I see it pop up that, that I've been drafted. I'm like, Oh, well, that's, that's interesting. Like, I, I mean, I had no idea that was going to happen. I was like, all right. And then I notifications just flooding through and just, and then I guess I had that kind of draft day experience from that point on, but I was, I was not expecting to be drafted and I was, it was a great honor. It's something that's, it's cool to say, but in the end, especially as a lower draft pick that I was, it was just a trial. So I didn't even end up going on trial with the union. I decided to go on trial uh, in Israel with Maccabi Haifa. It's the most uh, unspectacular draft day story of all time, man. Jesus Christ. <laughs> I'm always interested, though, because, like, everybody has a different story. And the MLS draft, like you said, some kids don't get scouted at all, but there's a, just, just the tape ends up in someone's hands and they draft them later on. And I guess that's what happened with you? Yeah, that's exactly it. I, yeah. I, the, the unions of PDL affiliate was the Reading, uh, Reading United at that time. And we played them every year. So that must have been why I got drafted. But, again, I, I had no idea. That's still pretty cool. Um, and, and before I go on to Daryl real quick, 
You're in South Carolina, which a lot of people don't think has a soccer culture, but it genuinely does. I mean, the Carolinas both do, and that's why Charlotte, I think, has a franchise coming next year in the MLS or the year after. I'm not sure off the top of my head, but what's it been like? You were only there for the first season. What's it been like just kind of being immersed in that whole culture of you're battling against a lot of other pro sports and college sports. So, like, how has it been for you guys to get um, acclimated to the town? Like, like how – how is the culture in Greenville and in South Carolina in general? Well, the week before I came here, I was looking just on Twitter and the, the top 10 soccer markets in terms of watching, I think it was a U.S. national team game, and Greenville, South Carolina, which I'd never been to, which I'd never heard of before I signed with them, was in the top 10. And I was like, all right, well, this, this should be interesting. And all throughout last season, uh, our big supporters group, the Reedy River Riot, they were they were great for us. They were We'd have lightning storms. They would stay until I think one game finished at like 1 a.m. They'd be banging on the drums. And it was something that we we had it a bit in Edmonton as well, but it's more of an Irish uh, kind of culture, an English culture, where you have the supporters that are, that are cheering the whole game and getting involved. And we definitely had that last season. We had – there's probably 100 of those guys, and then we had a lot of the, the kids and the families that are, that are more or less quiet. Uh, but it's, it's, it's been a lot of fun playing here, and – we had a good season our first year and we were kind of, we were just kind of breaking through. There was a lot of, we could see car magnets everywhere and we're breaking into the market. And now uh, we had to take a little bit of a break, but hopefully it can kick back up again and hopefully they can let supporters into the, to the stands. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a Red Sox fan. So they, one of the minor league teams, the drive, I don't know if they're even around anymore, but they're yep. down there. Yeah, we watched them last year. Yeah, there you go. And, and I mean, I think this might be the year that they're done. I, I think a lot of the minor league teams are getting cut, but I got to know a lot of people down there. And, you know, I was surprised that soccer was a lot of people's at least second sport. So it's really cool to talk to somebody that's playing down there. And it's actually kind of segues well into my question for you, Daryl. I know you guys have been secluded, kind of cooped up, not being able to do much. But how has Winnipeg been? I know Anthony said, has anything changed? Have you been able to talk to any of the fans in the city? Um, no, I haven't even met any fans in the city. Just a couple of journalists before. <laughs> wow. <laughs> there, there is no fans in the city. They don't know who, who the, the father is at all. <laughs> well, actually, yeah, no, the fans came out on Sunday uh, where we were training and we could hear them singing because um, obviously at Winnipeg we have a big stadium here so we could hear them going outside and we, uh, after training we went up and sort of said hi to them through the gates. Uh, so that's the first first glimpse of, of the fans I've seen, but it was awesome for them to come out. and They were actually social distancing as well, to be fair, <laughs> while they were singing songs. Um, whereas, you know, back in Ireland and, and Belfast and stuff, the fans would be there with all their beers on top of each other. But, uh, no, that's, that's the first bit of the fans. But apart from that, we've only, we were in training for, I think it was a week and a half. We'd done a yo-yo test. Thankfully, Jake wasn't there to, <laughs> into the ground. Uh, well, we've done a yo-yo test and a couple of uh, sessions and things like that. The first week we had, there was a bunch of trialists that were in. Um, you know, so they were taking a look at the trialists. And then once the second week we started to get going, that was whenever they sent a lot of boys back to Toronto and Montreal and Vancouver, wherever they came from. Um, and then that was lockdown for us. So the the first few months of being just locked down in Winnipeg. Does it, you're probably, sounds, you're not, oh, sorry, go ahead, Anthony. It sounds like a, a very bad movie. <laughs> Lockdown in Winnipeg. <laughs> oh, well, it's actually been good to be here. Um, the only thing is, obviously, uh, 
whenever you have a son or, or a child, you know, they keep you busy. Um, whenever his daycare stopped, um, we were looking after him all day and just basically being a teacher for the last couple of months and trying to trying to show him the ropes. But he's just, he's become an absolute nightmare to be fair. And he's going to get chucked out the window soon, but he's back, <laughs> he's back to daycare, which is good. Um, I was speaking to Albert yesterday. Good for, good for him. <laughs> <laughs> That was my next question, actually, was like, you know, we were just talking to you not that long ago, but you really weren't into the whole nitty gritty of training and stuff. Like, you got the little one, so you're keeping busy. What else have you been doing to kind of just bridge the gap, I suppose? Um, well, my wife started back work. Uh, she started back work last month, actually. She was back. Um, but again, every day I was, it was looking after the child, taking him for a walk. Um, you know, there was nothing nothing to really do. Um, everywhere was closed. But now he's back to daycare and I'm back training and the wife's back to work, which is a sense of norm normality. Um, you know, and things are starting to open up, which they have done. Uh, you know, so you can sort of go to the gym after training now and, and do those sort of things if you want to go to, like yesterday I went to uh, Good Earth Cafe, the, the one Albert would like and uh, he was in Edmonton, went and got a, a decent coffee for the, <laughs> haven't had a good coffee in the last few months. As Albert knows, I don't buy good coffee in the house. He buys the good coffee. <laughs> if I wanted a good coffee, I'd go to his house. But uh, I was able to go and sit outside on, on, and have a coffee, you know, even though it was by myself, but just a, a little bit of sense of normality um, coming back uh, as long as keep, as long as people keep, abiding by the rules, so to speak, and we don't get some sort of second wave, you know, because it's been tough for everybody. And, and I guess this is a really uh, a wide-ranging question for all three of you guys, more so for Jake and Daryl with how the league structure is different than the typical league structure. Um, I know you guys are just focused on getting back to playing this season or starting your season, but do you guys have a concern with the season being short, how – your off season next year is going to impact your careers. Like, has this changed your long term plans, or has it even changed your short term plans? I don't think the a long off season. We've had an off season right now. We had three months off right here, and I don't think, especially in North America, I think the off seasons are too long in general. So, if we had, if we went till the end of November and then had December off, maybe a little bit of January, and then got started up, back up again, I don't think you'd have too many complaints. I don't know if that'd be possible up in Canada, being with the weather and all. But being down in South Carolina, we don't get much snow and all that. So, sorry, there's a, there's a cat coming turned in on me. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, I, I think the bigger part in terms of players' careers and all that is just you don't know where, what the budgets of teams will be next season. Uh, the teams pretty much had to honor contracts, at least in the USL, for this current season, even with the pandemic and with the loss of, of um, just – revenue with all the loss of fans, loss of games, if we play less. But as you go into next season, it's all ripped up. Uh, and you just you start from zero for the most part, unless you're on a two-year deal. So I think that would be something that guys are more concerned about. But all you can really control as a player is just control what happens on the field. So if you put in a good season, however long it may be, then uh, teams will be interested in you. And I guess, Daryl, you next, because uh, you know, you're jumping into a new league, new structure. So, you know, how's it, how's it been for you, I suppose? 
Yeah, well, obviously being in Sligo last year and uh, the culture is completely different. And, and then you come back to Canada and you realise that there's certain jokes that you can't tell within some groups. <laughs> so, uh, no, it's just getting back to being a little bit more serious and things. But we're still waiting on what the what's going to go ahead with the league. Is it going to be some sort of tournament or, you know, they're talking about it maybe being in uh, Victoria or Prince Edward Island. Um, I'm not too sure what's going on. Uh, they sort of tell us last minute also. Uh, but yeah, I guess they're, they're trying to get something going ahead. Um, whether it's going to be a full season or not, we're not too sure. But again, uh, I'd be in a different position to, to Jake and me and Albert would be, you know, coming to the end of our careers. And that's why the two of us have we've went and got our coaching badges and, and it, it means that we have something there. Shall it? Shall we call it a day or, you know, whatever happens, we can go into the coaching side um, if we want. So for me, it's just, you know, taking each day, each week, week as it comes, uh, training and, and trying to sit, stay as fit as possible. But, um, you know, obviously you have coming into pre-season and things, you want to see, gauge yourself where you are and, and a lot of work personally that I've done, you know, behind the scenes and even individually, I'm, I'm up in the, I'm training with a, the top group, the, f- the fittest boys in the team at the minute. So, um, you know, it's a little bit of being proud of myself of doing that because uh, during the, the lockdown, it was easy, you know, with the weather's like in Winnipeg, it was easy just to put the feet up and watch some Netflix. But um, I guess once you come to sort of the end of your career, you realise that you're counting down the days and if it means getting out there in, in the cold weather and, and sticking to the, your fitness regime, then you, you do it. Uh, you know, cause I haven't had the benefits of being as fit as what Jake would be. He can, he can take a few weeks off and then just hit straight back into it. And, uh, and then Albert completely different as well. Uh, like Albert's body type would be different to mine. So he has to really be careful of what he eats and, and keep at a certain weight level, uh, whereas I wouldn't be as too. I, I wouldn't have that problem as much. But again, um, every player is different, and uh, as, as Jake says, you can only control what you do yourself and be ready for whatever comes. Um, you know, so I guess we're all in. Me and Albert would be in similar stage of their careers. Uh, Jake still has. Jake will probably play till he's fifty. No, but again. Who knows? You know the the salaries in the CPL have has been one of the lowest that have have taken in my career. And um, but for me, it was to come come back to Canada, had an opportunity there, and you know, and, and set life out or set life up for my son to have a good life uh, in in the country. And as Anthony knows, he's moved across, and uh, obviously Albert's short term will be to give back to Canada whenever that may be. And but again, you just have to take take each day as it comes and see what's presented in front of you and, and manage it that sort of way. Um, you want to come back to Canada. Is this a hiccup potentially for you or is it still something, even if it takes two years, that that's where you're going to finish your career or at least take that step? Um, no, it's not really a hiccup. Um, I've got a lot, of, I've, a lot of faith in my own ability. I mean, in the sense of I know what I can control. Uh, you get to a certain stage of your career, you know what you can do and what you can't do and what, what you need to do and what, you know, what, what's need to be done. And, um, like if I, 
the, the training I've been doing and the, the things, it's kind of way gave me an opportunity to, to play longer. I see it as, I see it as a positive um, to have that break and to, to concentrate on mobility issues and to can concentrate and maybe trimming down completely and to give me that extra, you know, you know a little bit of pace next year um, and stuff like that. Lauren has treated me really well. Uh, the owner, like I said, he he is a multi-millionaire. Um, uh, he owned Purple Bricks in, in England, and it was a massive estate agent, online estate agent. So he's worth a, f- a couple hundred million. So he he's from Lauren, and he 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 runs a club like it's um, basically something really personal to him. Um, and he, he's brilliant with the players. He treats he's he's unbelievable. He, he treats the players brilliant. So. Short term, I will probably stay here um, unless obviously a good uh, an offer came from from Canada. But looking well, as it is now, I probably would stay here for another year, or looking that way now, and and then move to Canada. And whether that is to play, or whether that is to coach, or to move into something like that, then that will be the way it'll go. Um, no matter if I get a club or not. Uh, but I will definitely move back to Canada. My permanent residence, um, I need to move back by next June. So I will be moving back regardless of a club or not. Um, I'll go into something different. My wife is blessed. She'll have a, she has a very good uh, profession. Um, so she can walk into a job anywhere with the qualifications she has. So it should be, um, there's a lot, people worse off than, than, than us to be honest um, so I'm looking forward to going back to Canada but I'm also looking forward to the challenge of trying to get better this year because I always ever since I've, um, every year in my 30s I've always tried to be fitter every year trimmer every year and tried to add something different every year to try and give me that wee bit of an edge um, and that's what I'm looking to do this year Are you, um, are you sponsored by Purple Bricks? <laughs> yes, we were. We actually, yes, we were. Because uh, you, you mentioned about ten times, I, I just feel like you're like your ambassador in Larn or something. So, <laughs> well, he pays my he, pay, he pays my wages. I was going to say, if anything, he is sponsored by them. He pays his wages. Yeah. So, can I pay my? So, uh, so, so yeah. Ottawa are coming back into the are coming to the CPL this year. Um, how much of a rivalry do you guys have in the, NAS, uh, the NASL? Obviously, the papers kind of built it up as a Canadian rivalry. Was there a big rivalry between the two of you? Guys, you guys are yeah. a little longer than me. Yeah, yeah I forward. thought so. There was, the, the, remember the first game we played there? Um, there was an Irish boy, obviously, you probably spoke, spoke to him, Richie, Richie Ryan. He yeah. was a captain. And we were relatively new, me and Dahl were in the league, relatively new. And I remember at their old pitch, it was a college pitch, it was terrible. Horrible. But um, they had a good team. Um, obviously, we didn't realize it because we, were, we didn't know of the players because we had knew over there. But we knew Richie Ram was a good player. Um, over here, we played for Dundee United, he played for Sligo, he played for good teams. And so when we went there, we went to... Um, first thing I thought was to empty their, their main player was Richie Ryan and I tried to do it a few times um, but there's a picture there's a picture of it easy. as well isn't there 
<laughs> that was it. That was later on when he played for Miami. <laughs> so you've got a vendetta against Richie Ryan, is what you're saying? <laughs> no, do you know what? I think I'm jealous of him because he's got such a good, a sweet left foot, and he's such a good player. I think maybe that's what it is. <laughs> no, he's a top man. Richie's a very good, good lad. Day to him before every game. You know, I'm going to get a yellow card today. Every game, I think I took a yellow card against him. Um, yeah. I would just try and keep it on his right foot. I mean, try and come in behind him and just leave one in on him to try and speed up his play slightly. But, yeah. you know, any time we played against uh, Ottawa and he played, you know, if you give him that half a second, he'll split the midfield with a pass and, you know, you're on the back foot right away. And, you know, it's that type of quality that a lot of coaches, you know, there's a lot of coaches admire and then there's a lot of coaches that, that don't really see that type of quality. Um, you know, but playing against him, you know, you, <laughs> I know what the boys are laughing at, but uh, you know, you split the midfield, and if you give him that, you know, it, it honestly, you're talking, you're talking maybe that much of a gap, and he will exploit that gap with a pass. Um, you know, anytime we we played against Ottawa, I think it was, you know, we beat them in the Canadian Cup. Was it six two on aggregate? Um, yeah. and I remember we played him up at Fort McMurray actually out of all the places we played him in Fort McMurray and I think the game finished 0-0 or 0-0. I think they made a score in the last minute I'm not too sure but after the game I remember speaking to Mark DeSantos and I says to him well, you are a lot tougher today uh, than the last game and he, he just says to me that's us we're playing like Juventus uh, I mean, from that, from I, I, I firmly believe that it was the game, the two games that we smashed them three one in both games, and uh, it was then on that Ottawa changed their whole style of play. You know, you couldn't find space anywhere between the lines. Uh, they were just very structured, and then they would hit you on the counter attack. And the amount of teams from from then on, they would be one nil. You know, they ended up going to the final against the Cosmos, and uh, I think the Cosmos beat them in the final, but. Uh, for me, it was that game that we smashed them 6-2 that gave them a reality, a reality check because they had quality players right throughout the team and I think they might have been playing the wrong sort of system. Um, but again, they had players, you know, they had Heinemann as a target man and um, Ubi Parapovic, however you pronounce it, but number 10, you know, you get you get open up a, a can of beans with right foot. Um you know, they had quality players and defensively they were very well structured. So, uh, a lot of teams played into their hands from then on and, you know, we found ourselves on the receiving end, uh, losing 1-0 or even 2-0. But uh, for me, I think that was that was a reality check that actually uh, kick-started Mark DeSantos' career also um, because he, he changed the way he played and then he went to uh, Swope Park Rangers uh, got to the final, I think, I'm not sure if they won the USL, and then went to San Francisco, and again, anytime we played San Francisco, whether it was a 3-5-2 system that they went with, they were very difficult to break down, and uh, you had that uh, false sense that you were in control of the game, and then 20 minutes in, you were 1-0 down, you know, uh, and that was the sort of thing that uh, Mark DeSantos brought to his teams, but again, in, in Ottawa, they had that quality and obviously they lost a couple of their players once they done they got to the final. Obviously Richie went to Jacksonville and a couple of other other players moved on. Um, and then they lost uh, I guess their spine in the team, their their dominance. Um, 
but yeah, it was just the quality player, and it, and it did become a, a rivalry, so to speak. Um, but it was a good rivalry. It was a lot of respect. Um, as you know, back back home in Ireland, and you know, you can kick someone and they'll not take it personally. They'll they'll kick you back, and then afterwards you're sitting with a pint. Um, so it, it was obviously Richie and Colin Valvey as well. They sort of drilled that into Ottawa. Uh, me and Albert would try and drill it into to our boys, uh, and then bringing in uh, obviously the first two years before Jake came. You know, we you, you can measure players' speed, fitness, uh, pass completion, all this, but you know, came down to whenever me and Albert were speaking to Colin Miller, we're like, look, we need players with with good heart, with you know, they're respectful players and they'll put it in for the team. If you throw them into, you know, a certain position, um, they'll, they'll give it 100%. Obviously, we did have some players in the team that, that weren't like that and we had to try and, and, and get on top of it. But again, that season, that we made the we made the playoffs. I think we were predicted to finish 11th or 12th out of 12 teams. And all of a sudden, you know, we're dominating teams with possession. Teams were coming to Edmonton and, and they knew they were in for a fight. I remember playing, we played Tampa a few times and we knew after 10 minutes, we've got these, they're done. Uh, and, then, and then even if we went away, we might have had 30% possession, but we came away with a point or we won. Um, you know, so it was, it was the character that we got us through in the end. Um, and again, it, you can measure all the, all the speed, the fitness work and stuff, but then when you see a guy that, like how many times that we scored in the last ten minutes that that year? Uh, we never we, scored the first half. Yeah, really. Yeah. You know, so we Crazy. got grips and we knew that once we get into the second half, we kicked on, and that was all down to character, wanting wanting to fight for each other and going the extra yard. So was that was that what that was missing? Because like the the seasons before that, you always seem to start off the spring season really badly and then you'd come back in the second half of the in the fall season like what what was miss was that was what was missing from the team was just that kind of character or why is there always like a, a slow start yeah i think it was character it was a style of play maybe we were getting and playing a british Irish type style but we were you know we we're playing tampa in florida and it's 30 degrees and we had to change our style so whenever we were home we could play that style and go for 90 minutes but whenever we were away we had to be a little bit more smarter, uh, how to conserve our energy. And a big part of it was keeping possession of the ball. And once we started, uh, we had Albert and uh, Pat Diagody centre-backs uh, and then Matt and goalkeeper. And, and once we knew that Albert and Pat were in control of the ball and, you know, you could see their body language, uh, that sort of spread throughout the team. We were in control then. And it meant that... Uh, if I played sort of an, as an attacking defender, there was no problems for me coming deeper and taking the ball off Albert. Um, whereas previously, the instruction was stay as high as you can, stay as high as you can. I need to be around the edge of the box to get shots off and stuff. But there was no problem in me. Um, you know, Jake played left midfield a lot of the times, and it, like I could see it was eating up at him a little bit. Uh, because Jake is just a goal scorer. Um, anything around the box, he's on it and puts it in the net. And we could see it in training every day. And uh, I'm like, okay, if you're playing left midfield, make that run between you know, the left back, in between, or sorry, in between the right back and the and the right centre back in that space. And there's actually one, there's one superb goal that Jake scored. Um, 
you know, Albert and Pat played it. I played a one-two. I came to played a one-two with Tommy and Jake broke a line. Took a round of goalie and scored at home against Fort Lauderdale. I think it was. And, and then away to, away to Jacksonville, we scored a tremendous goal. Um, probably one of the best goals we scored at Edmonton. Um, no passing through, breaking lines, and then I was released and scored at the Jake and he scored. You know, so again, it was that sort of we kept the session of the ball. Uh, and the chemistry, we we looked after each other. That's what it was down to. Um, you know. It was it was more to do with the player leadership. But as you go back to the last uh, couple of questions before, um, but that that was down to bringing players in like Adam Eckersley and Pop, Big Pop, Daigety, and um, obviously Daryl played a, a a different role. He came into midfield. He was be able to control that. And then we also had Tommy Tommy Amiobi up front, um, with you know with Jake left, and then we had players you know, playing in around him. And I I felt that that shift between us being just a team that held on and tried to get a nil each or a one nil went from that to a team that actually was dominating teams and was actually expected to win or. And to win games, and I think that was that shifted because of the players. Um, players that had a wee bit of, about them came into the team, and that that fueled the likes of me and more so and Darrell and and Jake and people like that to to push on. And uh, and we were very 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 unfortunate not to go and win something that year with the semi-finals. We got it, but we just didn't have a good game against the end end of that game. Um, and we were we had a very good team. It just was unfortunate we didn't we didn't push on. The uh, I thought the best goal in uh, Edmonton history was the one you scored against. Uh, was it Tampa Bay? The volley into the corner. Oh like yeah, from, from a corner. Yeah. I was trying to I was trying to clear that. <laughs> so so uh, question for for you, Jake. So obviously you're still kind of having to go through this, like the, the amount of travel and all that kind of stuff. And Daryl, you're going to have to deal with it this year too. So as a, as a group, like how do you cope with that? Like with like, is there, is it just through pure banter or is it like just, you just get your head down and deal with it? Like how do you cope with that much traveling? We have some travel stories. It's, it's a story for another day, but there are some, especially at Edmonton, you, you couldn't even imagine some of the travel days that we dealt with. I think one from port to Puerto Rico, it was like, Holy 18, shit. 18 hours one way and it, there wasn't even a delay or something it's just what you had to do going from Edmonton to and it seemed like every team was either Puerto Rico or in Florida was crazy but what you do I mean you just you get on with it I mean it, it's your off day before the game and then it's your off day after the game and it's just spent in an airport more or less you're eating airport Thai food or whatever the case may be you're playing cards with the guys and you just you're just trying to kill time and and just make it back home, but it's it's not easy, and, and really the the effects that it puts on players, you don't see it maybe in the beginning parts of the season, but as the season wears on and the mileage really kicks in, and you don't you can't you don't have enough time to properly recover because like you're 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 traveling on the Sunday, and then on Monday you're back in training, and you're getting ready for the for the following week, and I think part of the reason I think we in the middle of that season we won like 10 home games in a row. We were on a really good run. I think we were, we were top of the league in August 
and then we just kind of fell off. And I think a large part of it is, I mean, yeah, we, we lost form and we have to take accountability for that. But a lot of it is just when you're putting in all these, these miles on the legs, both on the pitch and then you're putting in all the miles in travel and it's, it's difficult and you have to, you have to stay diligent with your nutrition, which is borderline impossible in an airport and you have to stay hydrated. And nowadays you're going to have to wear a mask. So you're not going to be able to breathe. So there's just so so many things that that are taken into account and even MLS teams have to deal with it to some extent, but it's as a player, you just, you're like, you're given a set of circumstances, whatever it is, whether it's the Florida heat, whether it's the travel, whether it's snowing in Edmonton and you just have to make the best of what you got and you have to be as professional as you can be and, for the most part, everybody's put in the same situation throughout the league. So it's a level playing field, and there's there's no real excuses. You just have to get on with it. So uh, who was the worst poker player on the team? Huh. We played – what did we play? We played 22. We didn't play much poker. Okay, um, so – I, I just kind of like you know the, uh, the the last dance when you see Michael Jordan and uh, Scotty and stuff playing high high stakes uh, poker. It wasn't like that, was it? <laughs> no, not not quite. I don't think we had to those guys. So so uh, Albert and Daryl, like obviously uh, as you mentioned uh, earlier, Jake, that the season before you got there, like the like Raul was in the league, and so was Marcus Senna and stuff like that. What was it like being on the the, the pitch with with these kind of guys? Like it must have been surreal. I just remember playing against Marco Senna away, New York. Um, and Colin Miller was like, we're going to need you to do a number on him. Um, <laughs> stick, stick tight to him. Let him know he's in a game early. You know, he's 35. He can't move too much uh, anymore. He came in at halftime and like, Colin's like, are you all right? I said, Colin, I can't, like, I can't get near the guy. I'm like, I'm just being totally honest. He's just on a, his awareness, his movement. Just He's in control of everything. But what, what Marco Senna was doing was, uh, you know, he, he kept the two centre-backs. He, he controlled the two centre-backs. So he was obviously speaking in Spanish um, or Portuguese or whatever language he was speaking. But I just remember speaking to Carlos Menda, their captain Mendes, the centre-back, after the game. And I just remember early in the game that he, he gave him a pass and Senna was on the half turn and I was coming in behind him to do him. But he sort of knocked the ball back to Carlos Mendes and said something in, I guess it was Spanish. And I said to him, what did he say early in the game to you? And he was like, oh, he just told me that whenever, whenever he's side on coming in, play the ball easier. So he has more time to check his shoulder. So he can make the distance a lot more. Because I was just focused on, you know, I'm going to have to hit him a tackle here and, Hopefully, it knocks him off his game a little bit. But then it was, he was dropping into areas that I didn't want to go because if I went in, then the centre back came out with the ball. And then the centre back became the guy dictating the game. Um, so I just said to Colin Miller at half time, like, what do you want me to do here? And he just says, just try and figure it out. So. Uh, <laughs> 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 fucking best advice I've ever been given. I was going to say the same thing, Anthony. Like, holy shit. Yeah, honestly. <laughs> He was just on another level, like, <laughs> awareness. Um, but, yeah, I just said to Tommy Amiobi, I said, like, you're just going to have to drop him beside me and the two of us try and manage the three of them. Um, we'll, let the, we'll let the right-sided centre-back have the ball because he's more 
ambitious. He'll try and play the, the, the diagonal ball that we can possibly cut out, which won't be as accurate as what Senna would play. Um, but after the game, I just remember coming away and uh, starting to study. I went and watched Michael Carrick for, I was watching videos of Michael Carrick and what sort of movements, even under You're Herrera. a smart man. You're a smart man. Yeah. Uh, I, because I, I don't have pace myself. And I started watching, all right, Carrick hasn't got pace. Senna didn't have pace. Even under Herrera, when he was at Man United, you know, he, he hasn't got pace, but he's Spanish. Why are these guys in control all the time and that was something that I tried to put into my game and I felt that I did put it into my game in 2016 the year we had the good season um, but again it was also as Albert mentioned earlier if, if you have a, ma- a manager that backs you and that's whenever I, I spoke to Colin and I says look Colin I think we had Nick Ledgerwood as a holding midfielder then but Nick was more of a you know he covered ground made tackles um, played the simple pass type player and um, and that's where I said to Colin, look, you have to allow me to drop in, uh, receive the ball, try and get turned. You know, uh, so a lot of times in training, I would work with Albert and say, and, and Pat as well, but because I had a better relationship with Albert, I would just say, look, whenever you receive the ball here, just get on the half turn and I'm going to pop into this little pocket. Uh, we're going to push the full back on higher, which is going to take the winger away and it's going to give me that five yards to turn. You know, and I think, I made a video clip of some of the plays I've had and the amount of times I'd received the ball off Albert, turned, and then as we took it into the next step, if Jake was playing on the left, Sini Niasi was on the right, I would speak to those guys and say, look, once you see me turning, I'm going to play at the sky's ball over the top. And, you know, I went through my instat and got so many clips of balls that I just pinged over for Jake or for Sini. And those guys, we were on the same page. Albert knew that all right, I've received the ball off Ak at the left back and he's jacked the shoulder. He's seen me dropping in and that was the trigger for a right back to push on, give me the space. And then Jake obviously knew if I get turned, you know, he's going to make that running behind. And uh, and I think we all ended up on the same page that year and, and that's why it was so successful. Uh, and then obviously the year after that, uh, I left, Ak left, Matt left, you know, so there was a, there was a core group of players that sort of left. Um, Albert obviously got his captaincy stripped off him for political reasons uh, you know and I just remember coming back from Cincinnati and and Albert Albert said to me you know you're, you're in for a shock here and I came in the, I remember first day in the changing room and there may have been about five or six players that came over and shook my hand and welcomed me back and I looked around the changing room and says to Albert what is, what's happened to this place you know and it, the whole changing room the Everything just went went to the dogs, really, and obviously them guys, Jake and Albert, was there, you know. So uh, that that last four or five months coming back to Edmonton, you know, it was it wasn't very good to be honest. And then how the club went about re- releasing players at the end of the year and uh, the league folding, and you know, you know, the ownership not giving us any any indication of what's going on about our future. We had guys on two-year contracts, you know, and Albert was one of them. He had his life sorted out in Edmonton. I, I would have been the same. And, and then all of a sudden, it's, you know, it's like, I remember me and Albert came out of the University of Alberta and we were in the, the gym and the, the fitness guy comes over and says, hey, Daryl, you've been released. I'm like, what do you mean <laughs> released? 
So my contract was just until November 15. Um, so I checked it on Twitter and I phoned Tommy Amiobi because he's not on Twitter or anything. Me and a couple of other boys were released. So I phoned the, the general manager, says, what's going on here? Thanks for the heads up. And he basically said to me, you know, uh, you're no longer you're no longer employee of the club, so good luck. And I, I just went off and went on him, saying, you've been in the door 10 minutes. You know, a little bit of respect here. And the, the guys that are out of contract in two weeks' time, give them a phone call if you're going to release them and thank them for your services. <clears throat> and then they didn't do that. And then the likes of Albert and a couple of other boys that had another year's contract, they're like, well, what's going on here? Am I staying here? Or, and then it was just very, very... Um, a lot of disrespect, in my opinion. Just said how it is, and it could have been handled a lot better. Um, and then Albert goes back to uh, Tommy Wright being his best coach, and uh, this is not on a coaching thing. This is on a the the hire, the you know the general manager, the ownership type is treat people as as humans. Um, you know, just say hey, this is the situation. Um, the club's not going ahead next year or whatever can give you a heads up um, so again a lot of players that end of the year we left Edmonton with a, a sour taste in our mouth um, were you um, how, how are you feeling about having to go back there this season to, to play against them oh I, honestly once I arrived in, in Winnipeg the first thing I said to the, man, the manager here who's actually a good friend with the Edmonton manager I said I, I can't wait to get on to Clark Field Saying and you, I said to him, you put me as further up the pits as you can. I want to be around in there in that box, uh, you know. So obviously, I've had one eye on that, but it doesn't look like I'll be there next. It looks like we're going to go to a certain place for a month or two months, whatever it is. Um, we're still trying to figure out what that is, and obviously that means I'm I'm going to have to go away from my wife and son for that length of time, and try and manage it that way where she's got to go to work, drop this on the daycare and, you know, and sort of figure things out that way. But again, it's, uh, obviously you treat every game as it is just treat your next game. But again, you've always got your eye on something further down the line. Um, whether it's against your old club or, or not. Um, cause obviously Albert knows from Glen Torn to Linfield, Albert seen, seen the abuse that I got, uh, and then whenever I scored against him at the Oval, and then celebrating on the pitch afterwards would be Glen Torn in the quarterfinal of the County Antrim. You know, it was, for me personally, it was unbelievable. Um, and all the players were buzzing as well. But, you know, you, you, you've always got an eye on, I guess, your ex-clubs. And it goes down to treating people as humans, uh, the basics, you know. It's so horrible that, like, for, for all years, like, I mean, it sounds like you had a lot of good times there in Edmonton, like, you know, like, obviously you made friends and all that kind of stuff. For it to, for it to end that way was was awful, to be perfectly honest. Albert, was that how you found out, like, just from, like, Daryl walking somewhere and somebody saying, you're, you're, yeah. on your, you're out in your ear? Well, obviously I had a two-year deal, um, and I wanted to know what was happening. It was rumours that the league wasn't going to go ahead and stuff, and um and whatnot but when we first came out of the gym i found that we found out that daryl was released and um my contract was obviously till the next year um november 15th i also found out there and then that the league 
I think the league wasn't going. Edmonton was um, going black for I don't know what the term is. For it. It's like going dark for a year or something. It's like not ceasing operations um, and not basically doing anything for the contracts are going to be void. And the NASL had a, an article in their con- contract. Um, it's like a, a a clause or something to say that it was um, you know you, they were able to do that to to stop the contract, which we didn't know about as players. Um, so we could have, I could have took it further, but um, obviously you're 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 dealing with millionaires here. They could just they could just um, take you out by the roots. But so we, we I didn't say anything and. For for um, whenever whenever I called the owner and stuff, when I called the club, there wasn't any kind of a sorries or remorse or or not remorse, but uh, one for a better word, just a bit of like to say your yeah, apologies for this. I know you had your life. We have a contract. We're renewing in your two year contract, um, but it just kind of I said that's it. Good luck. And Albert's wife was due to give birth a month later. Yeah. Fucking hell! Right. Like, like what a my like, god! What a share of cunts, to be honest. Like that's a, you know, I, like, ne- I end up moving into an Airbnb. Um, I actually had to move into an Airbnb in in Edmonton till I got a club, and obviously my daughter was just born. So, um, how did how did Jake find out? Or does he still think he plays for FC Edmonton? <laughs> no, we <nobody> sold him. <laughs> no, so I, I was at a, actually an indoor soccer tournament, a co-ed tournament, and I got, I th- I, if I remember correctly, we got an email, and the email was at like 1 or maybe 12.59 Eastern time. And then the email was like, hey, guys, just let you know, there's going to be a Twitter announcement at 1 o'clock Eastern time. So literally like a minute later. So if you, if you check Twitter before you check your email, you found out on Twitter. If you check your email first, you found out on the, through the email. So it was like, it was literally the same time that I think it was the GM must have sent it. Uh, Jay ball. He was just like, Hey, we're not, we're ceasing operations, whatever. We're going on hiatus thinking about the CPL in 2019 or whenever it was. And then the next minute you see it on Twitter, the same announcement. So it was just, for me, the biggest issue is like these guys are saying, like, just treat us like, like we're human beings that we are. And if for whatever reason it, it doesn't work out for you financially to keep the club around, we completely understand as owners, like you're giving your money to us more or less. I mean, we're not making you tons of money, if any, but just have the decency to kind of say to us, here's the situation. We're sorry. Thank you for your service. Albert and Daryl were there for what, five seasons. Albert is the most appearances and Daryl has the most goals. I mean, at the very least, like, just, just say it to their face and or get on the phone and say, listen, we're sorry. And that could have come from a lot of different people. That could have came from the owner, should have come from the GM. It could have, should have come from the manager. And it didn't come from anybody. Uh, so, uh, for me, like, I don't take it as personally. I, I had a lot of good relationship with guys on the team. But in terms of the front office and the, and the coaching staff, I was only there two years. I wasn't there for the same amount of time. I didn't build the same relationships. But I think it's every club should just just have the decency to just to, to tell someone to to their face what the situation is. 
It, it definitely sounds like the, the worst breakup of all time, to be honest. <laughs> no, breaking up with your girlfriend over, like, Twitter, like, you know what I mean? It's like, what the fuck? <laughs> so, I really appreciate you uh, taking the time to hang out. It's, it's you know, it's kind of fascinating to hear from the inside. Obviously, we saw from the outside. Um, I'm, I'm really sorry that it ended that way. Um, just, just quickly, like, did... Did you have you guys been contacted by anybody in the CPL, uh, Albert and Jake, about potentially c- coming up here? Or I, I haven't. No. Okay. So I, w- I would be I would be open to it, but I have the not. Border's closed for Jake. The border's closed. <laughs> <laughs> we might have room, we might have room for Jake in Halifax, Anthony. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Um, so just, just send us your video, lads. We'll put it on YouTube for you. Hopefully, you get your contract. <laughs> um, but yeah, seriously though, like thank you so much. We really appreciate taking time. It's been great, like uh, listening to the stories and stuff like that. And uh, I, was go- I was actually going to ask you, Anthony. Sorry to interrupt you. Have yeah. you, you any con- any contacts up there? <laughs> Listen, brother, you're a fucking legend. Come on over, man. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm looking for somebody from my five-a-side team, so you're in. If you give out health insurance, I'm in. <laughs> Just, I've got space in the basement for you, man. You're all set. <laughs> so yeah, so, so thanks a million for hanging out. It's been it's been great. I'm glad that you all uh, are keeping well and safe, and uh, hopefully we'll get to see you all playing back. Um, thanks a million I really appreciate it and thanks to you Chris too some great questions here buddy Are joined by Jack and Miles from Football. It's a uh, it's a new Instagram account that's dedicated to the world of football. Welcome to the show, lads. Great to be Thank here. You. Thanks, thanks for having us. So uh, the first question I have for you is: is uh, wh- why did you start the Instagram account? What it's about, and how can people find you? Uh, well, I just I mean it's been pretty boring recently, so I we're both into football so i just messaged jack saying hey do you want to set up a, an instagram account you know spread spread our opinions and things okay i was like all right as long as you do all the posts so <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm more on the uh, the sort of messaging people kind of side of things getting getting shout outs etc mark mars takes the content content side of side of it so so that's the setup we've got going on so, so Jack is the, the the stalker one, and then Miles does all the hard work. Is that pretty much? Yeah, how it works? exactly, exactly. <laughs> I wouldn't call it a fifty-fifty split, but so so when he has become like uh, as big as like uh, some of the like sports volleyball and all those kind of guys, have you worked that out? Like, who's going to be the majority owner? He's going to split it fifty-fifty. Uh, we've said split it 50-50, but the amount of effort that I'm putting in compared to Jack, I, I don't know that I'd take that at the moment. Yeah, I think I've got a good deal in that situation, <laughs> to, to be honest. But, you know, I'll take it, I'll take it. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so where can people, like, what's the, the handle and um, what, kind of, what kind of content are you, are you guys, like, uh, sharing and stuff? 
So currently it's a foot Bible sport, but honestly, we're, we're thinking of rebranding because it's not a particularly catchy name. We were thinking uh, just that maybe like Rosette or some sort of football phrase rebranding too. But uh, I mean, basically it's, uh, I try to keep up with the matches, do goal notifications. If there's any uh, news like David Luiz's contract yesterday, which was horrendous. <laughs> and I mean, it's a set of things you see on the football Twitter sphere. Some because some people just have ridiculous opinions. I must say I'm really enjoying uh, just I like those kind of pages where you can just go and get like all the kind of news in, in one spot. Um, I hate having to kind of search around for different stuff, so I'm really enjoying it. You've done great so far, and uh, Jesus, when when did this actually start? It? Um, uh, last last Sunday, I think about just, yeah, just, just two weeks a, ago. a week and a half, yeah. And you're already up to like 400 followers. That's amazing. Yeah, well, yeah, well you know, charisma. sharing the account, mate. That's, that's my job. <laughs> so, pulling my 50% of the weight. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad someone agrees with me, to be honest. <laughs> this is what I do. You're, you're doing a great... To be honest, the content shit, it's just, it's all like the way you're yeah, sharing. Exactly. It, it is. <laughs> that's what I'm saying, mate. That's what I'm trying to... I'm trying to... I'm pulling that 50% of the weight. I, I, de- I definitely think uh, changing the name might help because, like, foot Bible just kind of sounds like yeah. somebody who's got like a foot fetish or something. So yeah, yeah that, I mean. that, that was a bit of a concern, um, but you know, that, that, that's why I started following him. I've got a huge thing for feet, so oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <Don't we all. laughs> so um, obviously you're football fans. Uh, Jack, you're a, a West Ham fan, and uh, Miles, you're uh, one of the, the faithful. You're a Spurs fan. Um, how did you uh, come about sponsoring your respective teams? How did you well, start my, following the, the teams you follow? My granddad uh, is a lifelong Spurs fan. He grew up in Edmonton, right next to the ground. So, I mean, I've got you've got a you, you. If my dad doesn't really follow football, but my granddad does, and I, don't, I think if you don't support the team that's in your family, then what are you doing? Absolutely the same for me, really. Family from London, always, always been West Ham fans, and. Yeah, I just followed on, unfortunately for me this season, but you know. <laughs> well, like forever pretty much, right? Yeah. Well, we had that one good season with Pyatt, but you know, that, that's where it peaked for us. That's yeah, then he wanted to leave. The first chance he got, he fucking took off. <laughs> to Mars, we, the worst thing about that was he went to Marseille. It wasn't like he went to um, anyone like particularly good. Like he'd rather just go take a sidestep. Yeah, I, th- I think there was there was issues with homesickness and and all sorts. So that that's the story we've we've been told. So we can only hope that that he didn't see Marseille as a bigger club. You know, I, th- I think that's what we're hoping, really. I hate to burst your bubble, man, but <laughs> <laughs> so um, have you been to uh, Miles? Have you been to the new Tottenham Stadium? No, I've I went to the old White Hart Lane, but I'm, I've never been to the new new stadium, and I don't yeah. know if we'll be able to go anytime soon. Yeah, it's it's kind of it's kind of crazy that it's just Tottenham's look really that they splurge like five hundred million pounds on a brand new stadium and no fucker can go to it. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Jack, have you been to the, uh, the the London Stadium? Yeah, I've been been a couple of times. Yeah, it's far away from the pitch. We we all know we all know the the, the story. Yeah, it's uh it's it's quite a unique experience. But uh, yeah, you know the the crowd get going and it's it's nice and loud. So. What can we do? I, I think it, I think in the long run, as long as we don't get relegated this season, I do think moving stadiums. It was unpopular at the time, but I think it, it's going to. You know, you can never be a big club with a, with a small stadium like we had, and uh, so I think if if 
you know, 50 years down the line, if we're still in the Premier League, that we had to move eventually. And I think the deal we got in the end, it was it was already built. You know, we didn't have the whole thing like Tottenham did of just constant extensions of, oh, it's going to be ready now, now, now. And so I think it, it ended up working all right. And I think fans are, are getting used to it now. So I, I, Tottenham tried to, to get the stadium, so we can't really make fun of you for it, to be perfectly honest. Bigger club, mate. Bigger club. Uh, yeah, it's true. <laughs> but I, I guess it was because we wanted to remove the running track. That's kind of like what we wanted to do. And then they were talking, we're going to build a new stadium for the athletics, whereas you guys kept the, the running track. Um, so, yeah, I guess it's, so it, it doesn't really make a difference to the, the, the match day experience. Uh, yeah, obviously it is, you are further away from, from, but from, the, from the pitch. But I think realistically the, the, the noise that the fans create, I think is still good. And I think it's still a good experience to go. So, you know, I think real, realistically it's, it's not too bad. It's better than the Etihad. Well, the Etihad. <laughs> yeah, or, or the Emirates. Uh, oh, I don't know. I, I went on a, a stadium tour of the Emirates once because uh, my brother's an Arsenal fan. I, I know it's a, a great choice. But, I mean, so, as much as, you know, you bash Arsenal, the, their stadium is some of the bits in it. There was... Um, I can't remember what they call it. It's like the gold club or something for the rich Arabs. It's unbelievable, some of the things there. So Spurs have the same. There was a, a program that Richard Hammond did on the new Spurs stadium, and some of the things they've put in are, are incredible. Yeah, I saw, I saw that with the, uh, the, with the pitch. That was the pitch is incredible. Like the way it kind of um, uh, pulls back, and then the, the yeah, the American the, football pitch comes up. In, that's an, uh, incredible. Um, wasn't there like? Isn't that like the name of one of the the podcasts, like the Cheese Room podcast? Was supposed to be like a a Cheese Room at the Tottenham Stadium or something? Is there? <laughs> they, were, they were supposed to be, <clears throat> but um, I guess they saw. I guess they saw. They saw sense and decided not to do that. I, I can't see your normal Tottenham fan being a, a cheese kind of sort. To be fucking perfectly honest, so. no. I know, I think they've got a brewery in there though. But that, that makes sense though, right? Because when you go to a game, like, you want to have a few drinks and stuff like that, right? Yeah, exactly. I, I don't know. I've never seen anyone eating a wheel of cheese at, at a match. <laughs> Maybe if you go to a game in France, they might. Or that's a bit xenophobic. Yeah, yeah, frog's actually. legs and cheese wheels. Yeah, that's a bit xenophobic, actually. I'll take that out. Um, I just thought we'd talk a little bit about how the, season, the season's gone for, for both clubs. So I'll start with you, Jack. Uh, what's, what's gone wrong? Oh, mate, 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 mate. It's been horrific. It's been absolutely horrific from start to finish. Um, I think, look, Pellegrini, I think he, when he first came in, I think there was quite a lot of optimism. I think not only because of his, his previous brand of football and success at Man City, but obviously he's a big name. I think without him, we undoubtedly wouldn't have got some of the high-profile signings that that we have over the last couple of years. I don't think Seb Haller's come into play for David Moyes. I don't think that's where he really saw his career going. Um, in hindsight, I think maybe it wasn't the best move. You know, obviously he's been to China, seems to have forgotten all, all knowledge of football out there. Uh, come back, he's done all right for the first year and then the first six months of this season, it is, it's just not gone to plan. And then I think the sacking of him at the, at the time, it kind of felt felt the right decision. And I think that that um, next employment was really important. And I think we just got it got it really badly wrong with David Moyes. I think they went for someone who knew the club. I think they went for someone who's obviously proven in the Premier League years ago with Everton, but he's he's been consistent. And you've got to remember when he when he came in before, 
a lot of people think he just a lot of people forget that season we were actually in a bit of a relegation battle nowhere near as bad as this year but we were partly in a relegation battle and I think the board remembered that and sort of remembered it too well they think he saved us for relegation where he really didn't he we were much higher up the table and he just kind of did all right but I think to say to him at the time as well I found it strange from him because years ago he he had that six-month contract to the end of the season and then there was meant to be, you know, there was discussions about keeping him on longer term and, and the club decided at that point, they said to him, you know, we don't think you're good enough. So then for him to then say, think that he is good enough to come back, it, it all just felt wrong for everyone and it has proven to be wrong. I think we'd have been better off going for a bit of a younger manager, maybe some new ideas. Yeah, I, think I like like Graham Potter, what he's done at Brighton has been, been fantastic. And uh, so I think we could have gone with someone a bit different. But I get, I get that the uh, or, or either that or someone who's proven to to escape relegation battles, um, just just for six months rather than this appointment that seems to be sort of kinda does does a bit of both, but doesn't do either of them well enough in, in my eyes. So yeah, I think I think if you look at the the squad, I've, I've I've looked at it loads of times, and I think that in terms of personnel, I think we're the personnel have, have got to be in the top ten sides. You know, I think. Most players in our team, you're looking at your Philippe Andersons, your Fournals, Diop, Rice, Fabianski. I think most of them get into most top 10 sides. But it's just for whatever reason, all playing together this year in, in the systems they've been asked to play in has not gone well well at all. So we, we find us, ourselves where we are. Yeah, I really thought that like Moyes was a, a very lazy uh, appointment. I think that they just... Uh, that, it was almost like a panic appointment. They just wanted to, because he'd done it before, just to get him back in there and hopefully work the magic again. But absolutely, yeah, I, could, I couldn't agree more. It, it, they, they've panicked and not, not yeah, panic. I think I think is is the perfect word. Really, they, they didn't really seem to think that through at all. And um, you know, at, at the time we, we heard things like um, certain members of the of Moyes' coaching staff that he had before. Um, that he wanted to bring back with him once Moyes had departed and uh, the first time and they all left with him they'd said some quite bad things about the board and then the board said oh we, we don't we don't want to allow, allow those coaches back in to the club because they they you know said said things about us in public and again I, I find that strange like if you're backing Moyes then back, back his whole project and, and who he wants but yeah, it's 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 a it's a terrible situation, and I don't think realistically there's many players in the squad that that care for the club that much. I think I think Rice probably does. I think Noble probably does, but I think I think you're you're struggling beyond that. I think maybe maybe Antonio. I think he he probably wants us to stay up. But I look I look through through the other teams down there with us, and I'm I'm looking at like Villa and Watford, like Troy Deeney. I imagine if if you're not trying hard. He's, he's having proper words with you in the change rooms at the end. And I just don't think that anyone in West Ham's doing that. I think, you know, we've lost the Spurs. I think they've just gone, oh, unlucky boys. We'll, we'll try again next week. And, and I just, I think that's not the mentality we need in this relegation battle. And I, I am seriously worried we're going to be down. It's definitely one of those things where you see, um, like, there's always usually like one team who are like four or five places above and then they just go on an awful run like uh, I honestly thought it was going to be Brighton who were going to be that team but since they've come back they've kind of turned things around a little bit they've got some great results um, like do you think that they made the right signings in the in the summer like do you think that they should have like Haller hasn't really how many goals has he scored this season and they spent a lot of money on him yeah it's, it's, it's not been enough but again I feel like that's another thing it's not enough 
thought, you know, they've seen Haller and Jovic and then they've signed half of, of, of the partnership. And obviously I understand you can't get Jovic, but you, you've got to look at that and think he's been effective with another with another striker up there with him, you know, with someone else to work with. And he's he's being asked to, to basically just be a battering ram. Like they're just lumping the ball up to him and saying, have a go, see what you can get on the end of. And I think at times he's shown good, good signs but I think we definitely I think there was rumours in January of Jovic in on loan till the end of the season and I, I really did I was really hoping they were going to come off because I think those two back together would have just I think that, that would have saved us and I think you know Bowen again he, I know he's coming in January I think he's been a good signing I think he, he shows a lot of promise but the end product I mean it's, it's awful like he can run fast and he can dribble well but I kept every time he was against against you guys um the other night, I just kept on seeing him just going, right, run, and then hopefully you just play a nice easy pass because I just don't back you to cross or, or finish. And so I think, yeah, I think this, to answer your question, I think the signings are all right, but there's just not enough thought. Like each individual signing is good, but the joined up thinking there, I just don't think is there as a, as a whole picture. Yeah, I, I think um, like you're going back to David Moyes, like, I mean, like he did a great job at everything, but he, it's just one of those, he's on a limited budget. He brought in the right players. I just think these bigger jobs are just beyond like him as a coach, to be honest. And maybe he's not used to being around the bigger egos and stuff like that because at Everton, he never really had that. He just brought in players that were very, his kind of mold. And he just, um, they just, there was no big egos. It was just like grafters and, great like good player good team good players whereas obviously with United West Ham he's had to deal with kind of bigger name players and I just wonder if he's actually good enough to be able to deal with the with the egos absolutely yeah I think I think there was a story of um when we were against Wolves I was watching the game and Antonio was extremely isolated as usual our striker is and then after the game I'm seeing reports coming out of the club that Moyes actually wanted us to line up in a 4-4-2 and uh, Anderson was meant to be supporting Antonio up front, but Anderson didn't know how to do it. it and he, he wasn't listening. And Moyes was saying through the whole game, get central, get central. And he just didn't do it. And I think that, that feeds into your point there. Like, And Anderson sort of thinks he's bigger than Moyes. He thinks he's better than the club. He thinks he's better than Moyes. And he thinks, you know what, actually, I don't know if I need to, to listen to you. I think I know better. And I think you're absolutely right there. I think the other thing as well is the game has changed a lot since when he was at, at Everton. Like if you think he's he's gone through United, Sociedad, Sunderland, us, then us again. Like the game's massively evolved. So I think, and I don't think he's evolved with it at all. And I think that's that's another problem he's facing. But yeah, I think you really have hit the nail on the head. There's a lot of egos in the West Ham team. I, I, every week I see Nobles on the team sheet, and there's absolutely no doubt that Suchek, Rice. Uh, Wilshire, Lanzini, Fornals, they're all better than him. But at least he's going to try and at least he's going to do what he's told and at least he's going he's gonna to graft the team. And I think that's something that Moyes had with every player at Everton. And especially because he's been there for so long as well. So any new player that would come in, they'd all, the rest of the team is there going, Let, let's listen to this guy, let's work for him. And then now at, at West Ham, he's come in to a team of players who are going, actually, do we need to listen to him? And I think that's that's... Yeah, part part of the part of the problem we're facing this season. Yeah, you kind of have to look at, I suppose, that like like Jack Wilshere, like he's played for <laughs> Arsene Wenger and then Pellegrini, and then suddenly David Moyes tips in, and it, it just it's like who's the fuck is this guy? 
Uh, yeah, so, I wouldn't say played for Pellegrini because he's injured all the yeah, time. Yeah, that's yeah. true. <laughs> <laughs> he's he under his management. You know, on the bench. They, they, they on the injury table. They, they went for coffee and stuff. Uh, so, so Miles, before we turn this into a, a West Ham show, um, I, I guess I've got the same question for you. What's gone wrong <laughs> this year with, with, with the Spurs? Oh, well, I mean, you, you sort of, you've got to start at the back end of last season. Uh, apart from obviously getting to the Champions League final, which was great, the league form at the back end of last season was so ropey. You could tell that the players were starting to get really weary from Pochettino's high-pressure system. And that form completely carried through into the start of this season. And you could just see that so many of the players, especially people like Vertonghen and Alderweireld, they and Deli Ali to an extent as well, but I don't know that he's improved that much under Mourinho in the long run. But they'd all become complacent and they weren't they just either they weren't willing to or because of the amount of effort they had to put in before, they just couldn't put in the what Pochettino wanted and they weren't buying into the system as much as before. And as much as it pains me to say, I do think he had to go at that point because the results were poor. The Champions League was pretty poor. I mean, went went out to Tranmere, I think it was in the uh, in the League Cup or Carabao Cup, and it, it, everyone just looked tired, especially Kane. I mean, I think this break will have done him a lot of good, being able to come back after. I mean, a break that's longer than the summer because he, he's just been so battered by playing constant football and you don't want what happened to Alexis Sanchez to happen to him. But uh, having sacked Pochettino, uh, I think the defence looked very poor and I see the, the board's thinking with hiring Mourinho. But you look at what he did with Man United and there's definitely some doubt there because he he doesn't seem to have quite what he had in the mid 2000s early 2010s he's he's definitely whatever spark he had he's certainly lost it a bit and i don't think there was at the start there wasn't the bounce that the board hoped for and i think that if you're going to pay him that much and you want someone pragmatic to improve the defence. I definitely, if I were the Spurs board, would have tried to go after Allegri, who is more of a proven winner in the modern, in the recent history of the game. Mourinho's time seems to have been a bit more 10 years ago. And I think his, I mean, his game plan against West Ham was pretty good, but against United, you can see the frailties of how he plays now. You go up in the first half, great, well done. Maybe not deserved. It was basically the only chance we had. And then you give them 45 minutes to come and attack you. And you're not producing anything. And in 45 minutes, well, realistically, they're going to get a good chance. And with the quality of players that United have, they're going to score. And they did that. Once they brought Pogba on, I mean, you could, you could see... Bruno and Pogba linking up and just playing through the team. And, I mean, it's just... I, I think, I obviously give him time, but you can already see that there's... He's, he's not trusting the youth, 
which I don't he's completely cast out Foyth. Uh, cast out Ndombele, which, I mean, he's probably going to go off to Barcelona by the looks of it in the summer. So they we signed him for £53 million, I think it was. He's a great player, I think. But for some reason, whatever it is, Mourinho doesn't like him. And he said in over the break that he's been training really well and he's happy with him. And he's not he's not played a single minute in either of these two games. And he's now come out and said that, he doesn't want to talk with Mourinho, Mourinho anymore and communication's completely cut between them. And I mean, if we can't recoup the money we spent on him, that's, that's another loss. The, re- the only real shining light that I can see this season is Lo Celso. He has been, especially under Mourinho, because he, he didn't play a whole lot under um, Pochettino because of being injured. But now... Now he's coming under Mourinho. He looks very, very good in the centre of midfield. He really looks like he can run things, and he looks like he was a superb signing. He's a uh, he like uh, there was a few clips from like last night, and he he definitely looks the the part in, in relation to Ndombele. I, I just think that um, Mourinho has his history of just falling out with players. It's what he does. It's he's abrasive yeah. and stuff like that. Like I mean. Like yeah, Luke Shaw. He just it's, it's what it's what he does, and like and Dombele, Like I mean, he had a perfect opportunity to bring him on last night because he only used three substitutes, and we were like pretty much bossing the game. I know that West Ham hit the post or something, but it, it, it still seems like you're right that it's just kind of like broken down. But do you think that like a lot of this, like I know that at the end of the last year we were had an awful run, um, started the season with an awful run. Like, how much do you think uh, this is to blame on the board? Because if you look at, it, at the end of the day, like, we've basically had the same team for the last... Like, I remember four or five years ago, we were being praised for having the youngest squad in the Premier League, and now we've got almost one of the oldest. <laughs> so, yeah. do, do you think it was unfair on Pochettino that he just didn't get the backing from the board? I think that, I mean, you could see four or five years ago, whenever Pochettino came in, he built up this exciting young team and they'd grown with him. And the cycle had almost finished. Players, Vertonghen, Alderweireld, they're coming towards the end of their careers. They've not got the pace and the sharpness that they had before. And I think maybe you could have given Pochettino time to go through a new cycle because I mean you have these younger players you have Ndombele you have Lo Celso you have Ali who's still young and um, Bergvine's now come in obviously he didn't come in under uh, Pochettino but he's exciting and you can you can see where they're trying to take it I mean they also brought in Sessing on another young player um, but there wasn't there, there was never that time to gel under Pochettino and I, I think you, you can look at the signings and I, I feel like there has been a bit of a lack of joined up thinking with them because you've got Ndombele who is a good dribbler who can bring the ball from defence to attack and from what I've seen of how Lacelso has been played that is effectively his best position as well and I know depth is a good thing but there's holes at right back it's, uh, yeah holes at right back You've got Aurier, who cannot defend, and Foyth, who is injured or out of favour. And left-back, you've got Ben Davies or Ryan Sessegnon, who Mourinho doesn't think is a left-back. 
And uh, I mean, Deli Alley is just, I don't know what happened to him. He, he's fallen off a cliff somehow. His first two seasons, he was exceptional. And something has just gone wrong. And I, I hope he could get his form back. But I think to have someone else who could play that almost shadow striker role that he played so well in his first two years would be more important than just depth in midfield when you have so many midfielders. You've got Dyer as well, who's effectively, who is really a midfielder, although he's been, he's played fairly well at centre-back in the last couple of games. But I think um, the the signings are certainly lacking in, uh, well, as I said, just joined up thinking. There's There could be, I, I don't know uh, what the, the board situation's like with, uh, with regards to director of football and things, but I think that an overarching, I know Levy controls most of it, but I don't know that the vision for the club has been quite right with the signings, especially last summer, spending so much money on people who fulfill, who fill the same job. Yeah, I mean, like, I know you said there that Eric Dyer like, has played well the last couple of games, but like, he still was at fault for the penalty. And yeah, and he nearly gave away a second. Exactly, and he's just... He, he's almost like another RA in the fact that like he's just clumsy sometimes. Yeah, He just yeah. has that kind of moment. And I really feel like the way you're saying there about the, the lack of vision in, in the signings. Like, I mean, we had Toby Alderweireld, like with his contract running down. We had Vertonghen with their contracts running down. Like we needed to go and buy some central defenders. Like I would have rather saw that 53 million go on two decent central defenders rather than on Dembele. I don't think... Yeah, definitely. I, I honestly don't... Like, I know they're trying to replace Christian Eriksen, who is a cancer around the club, but at the same time, I, I think that we had players there to cover that spot. Um, so, so I mean, the the question you were asking about Deli Ali, this would be a question for the Tyrians, actually. Do you think... Um, it, it seems to be an, an issue with English football that I think he's been overplayed. Like, since he's come into the Tottenham team, like, he's played an incredible amount of games in, in a short space of time. Like, why do, why do English players, like young English players, like, why can't clubs, they don't know how to handle them. Like, Jack Wiltshire is another classic example. He's 27, 28 now, and he's pretty much burnt out. For me, the, the main issue with Deli Ali was he actually started, if you didn't get MK Dons, he didn't get any chance at um, under 23, under 18 football. And so I think that's actually quite an important step because he's he's gone from sort of academy football and under sixteens, you know, it's it's quite a gentle game by comparison to to the man's game. And then he's gone to a, a club from straight away from MK Dons straight into pretty much I'm I'm pretty sure it's pretty straight straight into Tottenham's first team. And again, as Mars was saying with the with the Pochettino press, it's it's not even like he had a gentle sort of introduction to football it was just relentless from such a young age and I think I think people have just over overused him and it was kind of the same with Wilshire again he came through at Arsenal he probably had a few games but it's I think it's it's also with with clubs they see a young talent that's that's come through and they love a homegrown talent you know West Ham fans the same with Rice like we all know Rice is a good player but we also all know what some West Ham fans are way over the top on him probably myself included, but a homegrown talent, you always want to see them do well and you always want to see them get given game time and it almost buys a manager time by 
at least developing younger talents. You know, you saw it even at the end of Unai Emery's spell at Arsenal. He was starting to just give youngsters a game that, that probably weren't ready, but just give them a game to say, oh, well, look, I'm at least giving the youth a chance. It's sort of like a, a get-out-of-jail-free card to to give a, a young player time. And if, if they hit hit it off like Rice has straight away, that's great. But as Ali has now struggled, I think Rice in a few years, I mean, he, he plays in a slightly more reserved role, so he's not quite as physically you know, used in, in a game. But I think we could see him have a, have a bit of a burnout. And I think probably using that academy football, using that slower process and slowly getting them ready could, could be really useful rather than just loading them out or putting them straight in the first team. It's, pro- it's probably my suggestion, really. Yeah, I mean, like, you can even see it, like, with, with Harry Kane. Like, I mean, like just be, he's had a bit of bad press about... Um, they, he hasn't been on top form but I mean if you look at like for the last three or four years like around January time he always seems to get a bad injury and I, I think it's purely because of the he's never had a break like he's been playing for England in the summer then he's come straight back into Tottenham so he's never had like this is obviously like being the longest break he's probably had in like four years maybe it just, yeah yeah I, I just feel like that European clubs are just better at managing their younger talent, like you look at like Ajax and stuff like that, they just know, like they just know how to treat young players properly. Whereas in England, they just seem to be, Ireland's just bad, where they just throw players in. And as you said, it's just that homegrown talent and, you know, it sells from jerseys. And when you know, it's almost because they're, they're almost because of so many foreign players that when one good English kid comes along, they kind of jump on them. Yeah, but I think also in those countries like you know Holland for, for Ajax, there's no Burnley. You know, there's there's no there's no teams that are literally just going to come and, and beat you up. You know, <laughs> like these teams, like it's it's a much more refined game in in Europe rather than I do find that especially the Premier League is it's just so physical. And I think that that is another effect of I think if you gave Harry Kane the same amount of game time in Spain, maybe maybe Italy, maybe France, he's, he's going to have a much easier time of it. And I do think that, that just the physicality, and I, look, I, I'm not saying we should, we should make the game lighter, but I'm just thinking, you know, I think in England, we need to be aware of how physical the game is and maybe not play Kane every game. Um, but but it's, it's, it's an impossible situation because how are you, uh, Spurs going to convince any striker to come in when you've got Kane? Because you're just going to obviously be second fiddle to him. So, unless you literally do say to both of them, you're going to play half the games, but that seems quite harsh. So it's, it's, it's a really difficult situation to manage. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I think that's why we've had Saldado and Vincent Janssen struggle. It's, like, it's because they just don't get the game time. And then when they come on, like, you're getting 10, 15 minutes and then you might get a run out against some shitty team in, in, in the FA Cup or whatever like that. It's just... I don't think Harry Kane's ever been managed correctly. Like they, they just know it's like I mean the last two games now, like he's played ninety minutes again. He's not getting taken off for the last ten. Whereas, just you, like United back in the day, you would see like their main strikers coming off with 15, like Aguero seems to come off with fifteen minutes to go, but Harry Kane is just constantly playing ninety minutes, and I just I just feel sorry for him, and I'm just kind of worried that by the time he's thirty, he's going to be fucked. Um, yeah, I mean, you just saw when he scored yesterday. It was, it was just more relief, you know, well, rather you than anything else. Lie down. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he was hugging the pitch. He just looked so happy that he'd yeah. ended. I, I don't know. It, was, it wasn't really a goal drop, but he just scored. And he was just, 
everything was fine for him and no one was going to... Because, I mean, the Man United game for him was... He got a lot of a lot of bad press for it. And, I mean, probably rightly so because he was completely anonymous. I don't know that he even made a pass. And after that, I think he really wanted to bounce back. And he did. I think he was pretty good against West Ham. I, I, I think, um, like, I know he was getting some bad press from the, the United game, but I think a lot of that was, like, the system, though. Like, you know, like the second half. No attack. Like, the second half, like, it was just... I went out to watch the game and I, I was sitting there with a bunch of United fans and I just turned around to him and said, like, he's going to park the bus yeah. and then you guys are probably going to score around the 75th, 18th minute and then we'll probably come back into the game a little bit. And it was really... We saw it. Sorry. And it was, sorry, sorry I was, it was just really frustrating sitting there watching this unfold because I knew exactly what was going to happen. And then, like, for that last 10 minutes of the game, I thought we, were, we played really well. And I just think Mourinho doesn't seem to trust the players that we have to be able to attack. <laughs> no, well, I mean, you saw in, when uh, Pogba and uh, Fernandez were both on, you saw Kane. Kane was marking, he'd clearly been told to mark Bruno Fernandez. Their cam, our striker was marking their cam. That's how deep he was. He was just outside the penalty area. There was, there was no one up. It was unbelievable. Mate, this is what it is at West Ham every game. Our strike is marking your striker. We're, we're all men back. We don't have anyone in your half most of the time. It's not that bad. <laughs> so, so just uh, just turning to, to to last night's game. Um, Jack, oh God, where, where, where did it, where did it all go wrong for you, Jack? Oh, look, I just, I think we didn't really come expecting expecting points points from the game. I think we. I actually don't. I actually think Moyes, Moyes got it quite reasonably right last night. I think you know, obviously the the goal just before half time with Son. Um, obviously, if he's timed his run marginally better, you know that, that's just a fluke. You know that, that you can't credit that for a tactical decision to have like a, a the offside trap or anything. So I think that that's a bit of a fluke. But then obviously the first goal just incredibly unlucky for Suchek. Arguments of a handball in there, you know. I saw Moyes come out after the game and say it shouldn't have stood with the new VAR rules and stuff. And I think the game plan was clearly just sit men behind the ball, try and break. I think first ten minutes actually we were quite bright. We, we, we I think, yeah, I think probably the game plan was first ten minutes show show Spurs we've got a bit of something, and then pretty much after that just sit back and try not to concede. And then maybe if we can go last or ten, last five, and and try and have a go, we will. And I, I, I don't really know how else he could have played it, to be honest. I'm not, I'm not convinced with, with our fullbacks. I don't think either of our fullbacks are great. So I personally, I'd be looking at a three at the back with, and then maybe play Anderson and Bowen as sort of wingbacks because I think both of them, incredible defensive effort. And I think maybe that sort of just gives you, gives you something else, just an, another sort of defender back instead of the kind of system we're playing at the minute with four now playing out, out on the left. But, it, look, I think always Tottenham, I mean, it, it's a way, not that really matters at the moment with, with the fans, but it, we, we were, this wasn't one of the games you were hoping to get points from. And I'll, I'll be honest, I was a lot more pleased with yesterday's result than against Wolves, where we just, we looked, I was actually really quite worried after the Wolves game. I've seen other teams come out and be like really ready after this lockdown. And um I'm always said before he thought the main things that would decide the games after after the the long break was fitness and substitutions, and he said I think our squad is really fit, and I think I can make lots of substitutions. 
and he's made four substitutions out of a possible ten. So again, that's just even more more confusing. Like you're saying you need to make subs, but then you're not making them. So that's a bit confusing. But so after the Wolves game, I was a bit worried because he come out saying he's really positive, and then we just looked so lackluster, so poor. And I think we looked a lot better. I think, you know, we've got Chelsea coming up next. I'm expecting a similar sort of game plan. But then after that, we've got some winnable games against other teams. And they're the ones that will ultimately decide whether we're a Premier League team next year or not. And I think maybe in those games, we'll, we've got to see him go for it a bit more. We can't be sitting back like we did against you, against Watford. Because we will, we will just basically say, right, we'll just go to the Championship. I just think that... Um... I don't I, I don't understand why he went for that game plan because if you've watched Tottenham at all this season, anybody who puts it up to us, like just we, we just fold. Like I mean like like Norwich have done it to us a couple of times already this season and stuff like that. I I don't understand why he you just go there and just hope not to get a hammer. Like I mean, Tottenham have a bit of a, a weak spine themselves at the moment. Like why not just go for it? You know what I mean? Yeah. I think he's just sort of thought, you know, he he clearly loves Haller a lot, you know, in, in all the press conferences before and after he's going, you know, we, we need to have Haller back. And I, I don't know how long he's out for, honestly. I think I think the reports are the next couple of games, but he should be back more towards the end, which which is good. But so I think he sort of thought, we've not really got a recognised striker. For whatever reason, he's, he's not playing Felipe Anderson. There's questions about his work ethic and stuff, so... He, he he doesn't really have him, so he's he's not really got any attacking options. You know, I think Norwich have got players in that team who can cause you problems. I honestly, I don't think any of our players can cause you problems, and I don't really understand how because I think Lazio, Felipe Anderson, you know, I think he can cause you problems. I think Hull, Jared Bowen, I think he can cause you problems, but somehow when they come to us, it's just not working. And I, I think to be honest, he, he just thought. We don't have the quality to go to go after you, and may, maybe if we had, we we, we could have got something. I, I do agree with what you're saying. Your, your defence is quite shaky. You've got two older centre backs, and as you both said, your full backs are, are, are shocking. But yeah, it's it's just one of those ones of maybe if we'd attacked, it would have worked. But I tell you what, if we'd been beaten, you know, three, four, five nil by you, the fans would have just been even more upset. So I think he was pretty much hamstrung in what in what he could do. So the question for you, Miles. Um, uh, Hugo Lloris, um, he he flapped at it across again and almost conceded a goal. Do you think it's time that we moved on from him? I think you, you know with with Lloris, you know what you're going to get. He's going to make a brilliant save one minute and then <laughs> mess up something easy. You saw the save against Martial in the in the United game was world class. And then, as you say, he comes out, flaps it across, and he just doesn't look convincing. And I mean, you saw it when he was on the biggest stage in the World Cup final. Just he's, he's got the ball at his feet. You see a keeper like that all the time. Mandzukic closes him down, and he flaps at it. He he's just uh, he, he's error prone. And I think if you could get another keeper in, I've seen some reports, I don't know how true it is that uh, Tottenham are looking at Dean Henderson, whether you could prize him out of United for a reasonable price, I don't know. But if you could get him, I would look at him because I think, from what I remember, he's made one high-profile mistake this season in uh, one of their earlier games against Liverpool. Um, But apart from that, he's been so solid, he's young, the only problem is that he's English. And as you saw with Harry Maguire, there is such a massive premium on English players 
that it's almost worth going to have a look in another league for someone else, just even if they're maybe not quite so good, just to avoid that horrible premium that comes with English players. I'd, I'd maybe suggest Anana in uh, Ajax. I think he, he he could be quite good for you. Yeah, I the think, only you know, thing is obviously Chelsea are eyeing him up, and between the choice of Spurs who haven't done a whole lot yet and Chelsea who've signed Werner and Zayech and he looked young and promising I mean I'm a Spurs fan and I'd pick Chelsea <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're banned from this podcast forever <laughs> so um, just before I uh, let you go um, I know it's kind of getting late there and I appreciate you it's kind of staying here uh, talking to me about football um, well, for the rest of the season like uh, what's your predictions do you think uh for Tottenham, do you think that we have a chance of making the, the European spot? Um, I definitely so- think looking at the fi- sorry, I definitely think looking at the fixtures, European football is so possible. You've got um, if I get it um, you've got uh, Bournemouth easy win, Sheffield United. Uh, they've had a horrible restart, so I reckon you should be able to get a win there. Everton, maybe that'd be tricky. I think Arsenal, their form's been horrible. But they can go on a horrible run of form, and the North London derby—they just is it, forms irrelevant. They can just turn up, and then you've got Newcastle, Leicester, and Palace. Newcastle and Palace are winnable. Leicester again haven't had a, been great since the restart. They look very very slow in their opener, and even before the restart, you, they were on. In the new year, they've been on a downward slope. So I think if we dig our heels in and play well, European football is very possible. I think it it would only be Europa League, though. I think Champions League is just too far, especially looking at the teams above us. Looking at how bad the the season started, uh, I I take that as a win, to be honest. Um, Definitely. So, so for, for for you, Jack, then um, do, do you think you guys are going to stay up? No, I'm I'm not I'm not as optimistic. I I really don't think. I, 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 it's bad. It's really is bad. But I look below us. I think Norwich. I think everyone can agree. It's it's been a it's been a strange season for them. They've not really tried to stay in the league because they've they've kind of gone with this attacking system. Fair play to them. They're playing the way they want to play. But I would question whether that was the right move long term you know in the odd game obviously you've got to go for it but I think in every game okay but I think we can all agree they're down and then I think obviously you're looking at two other spots I think Bournemouth have started absolutely horrifically after the restart I've watched a couple of their games and there's been no energy they've been seconds all the balls so I, I really do think they're down and I think that really leaves us sort of Brighton and Watford as the other as the other teams that could go I think Brighton have started quite well after the restart, as you said. I think they've, I think they've got, I think they start, I think the, the break's done them wonders because if you think, you know, Chris Hutton, he was in there for years, and Graham Potter's come in and he's had little time and he's he's made changes to the side. And I think actually, obviously, I know they haven't been training so much over lockdown, but at least they can still sort of get that ideas in their head. I'm sure they've probably done some remote training, you know, watching back videos learning how that Potter style and I think we're really seeing them be quite good now so I think they'll be fine and I think Watford obviously if you look back in December they were rock bottom they, they were Norwich sort of territory they, they yeah. were gone and and the upward spiral and as I've said before I think so much of it in a relegation battle 
is 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 sort of passion. You know, I think in a in a title challenge, it really does come down to quality and a bit of bit of emotion, bit of yeah, you know, bit of hunger. I think in a relegation battle, it's, it's the other way around. I think it's pro- predominantly attitude and you know determination to stay in the league. And I think I look in that Watford team, and I'm just terrified of Troy Deeney. I just think he's <laughs> absolutely he's going to absolutely rattle them, even if he's not playing, because obviously I know he's not been able to train too much. But I just think he's going to absolutely rattle that Watford team into doing stuff. And I, I look at our remaining fixtures: Chelsea, United, write them off zero points. And that leaves us Newcastle, Burnley, Norwich, Watford, Villa. So I think Norwich, it, it is away, but the home away thing doesn't really matter as much. They're going to be down. I think we, we, if we've got any chance of staying in the league, we, we have to be taking three points there. I think we look at uh, Newcastle and Burnley. I think Newcastle away, if it was a bit later on, it, it's, it's the game after Chelsea. If it was a bit later on, I think we'd actually probably could get something there because they're just mid-table. They're happy with where they are. But I think it's just too early. They're still going to be wanting to play at the minute um, I, I could see us maybe nabbing a point if we're lucky Burnley we never seem to do anything against it's just it's it's defeat after defeat every year I look at it and I'm, I'm hoping for a win so I think really from those fixtures so far I've got four points and then I really do think we've got Watford and Villa and that will define us if we stay in this in this in this league or not those teams I think they want it more than us I think I mentioned Deeney, but Grealish at Villa is the absolute same. You know, he's he's a Villa boy. He really he, he wants that more than anyone in the world to, to keep his team in the league. And what a story that would be, to be fair to him. Came into the Premier League. People didn't like him, got relegated. Now he's club captain. If he can keep them in the league and then move on to a big club, what a great story that would be and fair play to him. But I just hope he can't do it, mate, because <laughs> otherwise I'm looking at those games and I'm thinking Watford and Villa will decide decide this season um, and, and that's why I'm not that that upset about the, the Spurs game yesterday because I just don't think it was one of those games on, on the agenda and I think we're going to be going down to the wire I don't know quite how when you look at the quality in the side but it is what it is and yeah I, I've just got a really bad feeling we're going to be going down but maybe next year we'll get some wins against Barnsley there you go um, the, the good thing is though you, you, you always have Arsenal fan TV to watch to to keep you happy because that has been the greatest thing that's happened to me since the lockdown. It's uh, just watching them flip out over these games has been incredible. And then them re-signing David Luiz for another year. I just can't wait to see, to see any episodes of that because that was that boggles my mind. I just just, just before just before my last like little thing just before we do go um, you talk about Jack Reelish Troy Deeney and stuff like that do you think that Declan Rice needs to step up a little bit more he's yeah a, but, he's a home but, team kind of boy all that kind of stuff and it, it just he just doesn't seem to have that the same drive as those two guys yeah potentially I think in our squad we have, we've got Noble who's, who's kind of doing it but the difference is Deeney and, and Grealish can still offer something on the pitch I just I'll see Noble and I'll see him trying and I just think, mate, you're trying really hard, but you're just not, you're not quick enough. That's, that's the thing. And maybe, yeah, Declan Rice does need to step up. He seems to say the right things, but obviously anyone can say the right things. I think he does. I think he wants the best for the club, but I think he also knows, you know, I think Deeney especially knows if Watford go down, he's up, he's going down. No, no Premier League team's going to pick him up. Grealish, okay, teams do know, but he, he really loves that club and he's, he's, he's been through the heartbreak of the relegation before. I think Rice, he knows he's, if, if we go down, he's moving on. If we stay up, we've got a chance of keeping him. So I think it's more difficult for him to sort of motivate himself than the other players. I, I hope he would, but again, I think 
also, of course, he is a younger player. You know, Deeney's really old and experienced, and, and Grealish is the captain. You know, I know he's still a, a young guy, but he's the captain. He's got a lot of authority in that squad, so he can really drive drive a team on probably more than Rice. But look, Declan Rice is a fantastic player, and to, to be honest, I w- I'd love him to stay at West Ham for his whole career. But I feel that was Mark Noble's undoing, and I think it would be unfair to him. To, for us to even try and keep hold of him. So I just hope we get a good amount of money for him in the summer and we reinvest it smartly, um, which I, I worry that we won't do. Um, but, you know, that, that's for the summer if we manage to stay up. So just uh, on a personal note, like um, after what he put Ireland through, I really hope he gets relegated and I get to see his face. So um, <laughs> on that sour, sour note, uh, I just want to thank Bodie for, uh, for hanging out. It's been great. Um, it's been nice to... To talk some football again. I've really, I've really missed us uh, being able to shoot the shit with people about um, the games. They've been in, enjoyable to watch, and uh, it's it's, been, it's a weird experience. But um, yeah, thanks, to, thanks, Miles, thanks, Jack, for for joining us. It's been an absolute pleasure, mate. Thanks for having us. No worries. Thanks to all our guests this week. We really appreciate you all taking the time to hang out and chat some football with us. Thanks to all our listeners. Your support means so much to us. You can check out our new store at redbubble.com. Just search for Down the Pub Podcast. Make sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Head to downthepub.ca to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And until next time, cheers. You've been listening to the Down the Pub Podcast, recorded in Halifax, Nova Scotia. Head to downthepub.ca to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Until next time, cheers. Cheers.